This Rarecast is made possible by Global Genes, a leading education and advocacy organization that serves and promotes the needs of patients and families touched by rare and genetic disease. Since 2009, Global Genes has been building awareness, developing patient-focused education and advocacy tools, and funding patient care programs and critical research. To learn more, go to globalgenes.org. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. A number of rare genetic diseases, including Huntington's disease and myotonic dystrophy, belong to a group of conditions known as repeat expansion disorders. Though it's normal to have pieces of repeating genetic code, these diseases involve an abnormally high number of repeats that result in the production of toxic proteins. Nubase Therapeutics is using its platform technology to produce antisense drugs that it believes have distinct advantages over existing antisense drugs today. Nubase recently announced a reverse merger with Orr Pharmaceutical that propels the preclinical stage company onto the NASDAQ market. We spoke to Dietrich Stefan, CEO of Nubase, about repeat expansion disorders, the company's platform technology, and why he believes it has distinct advantages over existing therapies that target RNA. Dietrich, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. We're going to talk about Nubase, a group of rare diseases known as repeat expansion disorders, and the company's platform technology for targeting them. Perhaps we can begin with repeat expansion disorders. Can you explain what a repeat expansion disorder is? Absolutely. So repeat expansion disorders are uh, genetic diseases. They occur when a certain stretch of three letters in the genetic code uh, becomes unstable and expands when passed down through generations. So with each successive generation, if that repeat is unstable, it will grow until it passes a certain length threshold, at which point it's a mutation and it causes a genetic disease, Uh, Huntington's disease, for example or myotonic dystrophy are two great examples of expansion disorders. You've developed a platform you call Patrol to combat genetic diseases that are caused by these mutant proteins. What is Patrol? So the technology platform that undergirds Nubase Therapeutics is derived from peptide nucleic acid oligonucleotide therapeutics, and that's where the acronym comes from. Um, So peptide nucleic acids are the technology, and if you think about a strand of DNA, for example, remember back to high school biology, uh, the backbone of that double helix is made of sugar molecules, and then you have A's 
C's, G's, and T's, or nucleotides, that um, hang off of that backbone. Um, and of course, you have uh, essentially a mirror image of that that bonds to it and forms a double helix. So our technology is a single strand, short single strand, uh, but the backbone is made of proteins uh, as opposed to sugars. And the uh, nucleotides can be either the same nucleotides that are found in nature uh, that form DNA or RNA, or uh, we have a set of highly engineered nucleotides that can home in on a broken gene more selectively. So peptide nucleic acids, peptide backbone with nucleic acids, very short, and they're synthetically designed to go find mutant genes, and specifically the genes um, uh, transcript, um, the RNA molecule that's copied off of the genomic DNA. How does the technology compare to, say, antisense or RNAi? So antisense oligonucleotide therapies fall into several conceptual buckets. The first is commonly known as RNAi, or interfering RNA. And um, that works through a mechanism whereby um, the um, cell is, um, is um, you know, the, the, the drug, the antisense RNAi is put into the cell and it causes uh, the cell to become uh, trained against the sequence that's been put in through something called a risk complex, um, and that transcript is degraded. Another form binds the RNA and acts through what's called RNA's H-mediated degradation, where uh, a specific type of enzyme simply breaks down that transcript once it's bundled together with a drug. Ours acts through a third mechanism whereby our drug, our PNA, um, targets a RNA molecule and sticks to it, and that inhibits its ability to form a mutant protein and go on to form disease. So it's, it's one of those three categories. Um, but there are other types of antisense oligonucleotides that operate through uh, inhibiting translation or steric hindrance. Ours is different because it's um, highly selective for its target. It can directly target um, the expansion in the RNA molecule versus, um, for example, a single um, position elsewhere in the transcript. It passes through the blood-brain barrier so it can be systemically administered. And it doesn't appear to elicit immune responses, so it can be administered over um, the long term. So imagine the ability to give this drug to a patient who's pre-symptomatic well before their symptoms occur and have a lifelong solution. If it's inhibiting the production of a toxic protein, does it still allow for the correct version of that protein to be produced? We believe that that's one of the key benefits of our technology in that it uniquely targets 
um, what's called RNA secondary structures. And um, that's different than other antisense technologies. Um, so just taking a half step back, so the primary sequence are the A's, C's, G's, and T's that are strung together to form an RNA, mRNA molecule. And that would eventually go on to be translated. And it's at that primary sequence level that some of our competitors operate. So they'll design a antisense oligonucleotide that sticks to that transcript because of its nucleotide composition and, um, and inhibits um, its translation or degrades it. Our molecules actually, and, and because of that, it's very difficult for our competitors to seek out and destroy just the mutated um, transcript versus the wild-type transcript or the transcript without a mutation in it because there's crosstalk between uh, the primary sequences. Um, that's, that's in stark contrast to what our drugs can do uh, in that they uh, target the secondary uh, structure of a mutant transcript. So imagine a RNA molecule um, that's copied from a gene that doesn't have a mutation and it forms a set of loops. Um, and then next to it, imagine an RNA that's copied from a mutant gene, um, for example, one that carries an expansion. And that will form a very different secondary structure. Um, it'll fold in very different ways. It'll look very different than the um, wild-type transcript. And it's those secondary structures that provide the selectivity for our drugs. So those secondary structures just do not exist um, in the wild-type transcript versus the mutant transcript. And that's where we get our selectivity. As you mentioned, you've identified at least two diseases you're targeting. You're in preclinical development at this stage, but I thought we could walk through each of those. The, the first is Huntington's disease. What is Huntington's disease? How does it progress? And, and what's the prognosis for someone with the condition today? So Huntington's disease is a... Um, uh, primarily neurological disorder. It's caused by a mutation in a gene that produces a protein known as Huntington. And um, the type of mutation is, as we've discussed, a unstable repeat expansion. So all of us carry two copies of uh, this gene, and most of us have repeat sizes on both of those copies that are under, let's say, 38 um, repeats in length, uh, which is kind of the threshold below which you don't have the disease. Um, in some individuals, one of those copies or alleles of the gene will become unstable and expand through successive generations in that family. And once that repeat becomes more than 40 repeats in length, the individual at some time, usually later in life, uh, at that repeat length, uh, will um, um, have a protein that is um, malformed and inhibit um, mitochondrial function. And so tissues that depend on mitochondria, or said another way, are most 
sensitive to the need for energy, um, i.e. mostly neurological tissues, uh, will start to suffer over time and eventually start to, those, those cells and tissues will eventually start to die. So in an individual uh, who carries a expanded allele with um, just a slight expansion, you might see onset of symptoms in in the 50s and um, death usually um, one to two decades later. Now, as the expansion becomes even larger uh, in successive generations, individuals have a younger age of onset and a more severe course of disease. And so there are um, juvenile cases of Huntington's in the most severe form. Um, now, there is no effective therapy for Huntington's disease today. There's no disease-modifying therapy for Huntington's disease, and it really is a horrific disease, not in just not just for the patient, but um, for, for example, the children of patients. So you could imagine young, healthy kids or teenagers or young adults or middle-aged adults uh, wondering if they carry one of these expanded alleles. And of course, they could go get tested, but since there's no effective therapy, many of them choose not to get tested. And so there, there really is um, a lot of um, stress and emotional suffering uh, that goes along with Huntington's disease above and beyond this being a lethal neurodegenerative disorder. So hopefully that gives you sort of a sense for the disease and the fact that we can't do anything right now about it. In terms of the, the mechanism of, of your technology, what is it doing in the case of Huntington's? Mm -hmm. So in Huntington's disease, um, we have a program uh, whereby we are developing patrol-enabled therapies that selectively bind to the mutated or expanded um, copy of this gene once it's turned into an RNA and lock it up. And what that does is inhibit the ability of the cell to turn that RNA into a mutated protein that would then clog up a mitochondria. So essentially, you, you pull that RNA out of circulation before you get a broken protein that can go cause the disease. And there through, you leave the normal copy to go do all of the normal things that it's supposed to do in the cells. Um, and the hope is is that we can, um, over the course of several years, bring a therapy to market that um, a relatively young uh, but genetically loaded individual could take pre-symptomatically and, um, fingers crossed, either push out the onset of the disease or or eliminate, um, prevent the disease. Um, so that's the direction we're working in. You're also pursuing a, a therapy for myotonic dystrophy. I, I take it this is myotonic dystrophy type 1? Correct. Can you, can you explain what myotonic dystrophy is, how it progresses, and what the prognosis for patients are today? Sure. So while Huntington's disease is a largely neurological disorder, um, myotonic dystrophy has a set of symptoms and pathologies that extend throughout the body and um, 
folks are quite severely affected. So not only are there neurological um, signs and symptoms, uh, but there are, for example, um, severe muscle um, uh, deficits as well. And this is another form of an expansion uh, disorder. Uh, the expansion in this case is in a totally different gene, but it happens through the same exact molecular mechanism. A repeat becomes unstable and expanded, and therethrough causes a dominantly inherited genetic disease. Um, so in our myotonic dystrophy program, uh, we have a um, set of... Uh, 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 we have a program of um, patrol-enabled therapies uh, that are quite unique, and it's worth maybe dwelling on this because it's different than any other type of antisense um, technology out there on the market. Uh, we talked a lot about single-stranded RNAs being bound by single-stranded antisenses or PNA molecules in our case. Um, in myotonic dystrophy, we have created a type of patrol-enabled therapy that appears to be single-stranded when you look at it, um, but it can bind RNA on both sides uh, of that single um, backbone with nucleotides on it. And so um, what you could imagine is, again, targeting secondary RNA structure in a myotonic dystrophy expanded allele that secondary structure forms what's known as a hairpin. So you have part of the RNA going up and then looping around and coming back down and, and essentially forming a double helix of RNA within that RNA molecule. Our drug actually squeezes in between those two strands, opens them up, binds to both the ascending and descending strands, and there through um, um, displaces um, you know, a uh, splice factor which is known to cause the disease because it's aggregated on that hairpin. So I know that was pretty pretty deep in the technology, but this this notion of a bifacial nucleotide hooked onto a peptide backbone is is the core concept here, and that's absolutely unique to the company, and we're quite excited about about that technology and targeting RNA secondary structures. I take it the the problem with repeat expansion disorders at least one of the problems is that they bind with other proteins that are necessary for cellular functions. That's correct. In some, in some cases, and, and specifically in, in the example we're talking about, myotonic dystrophy uh, type 1, what happens is, is that this expansion uh, at the DNA level is copied to the RNA level, and then that causes the RNA to form one of these hairpin structures. And what in, in myotonic dystrophy, the root cause of the disease is that that actual RNA molecule, that hairpin in the RNA molecule, soaks up a protein called MBNL1, which is essential this is for splicing in a normal cell. Yes, exactly. So it's essential for, bind, for splicing in the normal cell, but if it's all soaked up by this mutant DM1 transcript, it can't go do the normal cellular functions. I, so that's the perfect example. I, I take it what you're doing, though, is not cutting out that repeat. You're just preventing it from 
binding with, with other proteins by binding it with your oligonucleotide. Exactly. Well, these are both in preclinical development. How soon do you think you might be able to advance to the clinic? So with all of the usual caveats that biology is is hard, um, you know, with a little luck, we hope to um, be in the clinic at the end of uh, 2020 or early 2021 in um, phase one and hopefully um, soon after that we'll be able to um, prove human safety and efficacy. So um, I wouldn't say, um, I certainly wouldn't say it's going to be um, in the next year or two, but I think um, we're quite excited about bringing something to market in, um, in a few years, not a few decades. Let me pivot on you if for people who heads aren't spinning by the science. Let's talk about the business side for a moment. You were in the process of seeking venture capital funding and ended up reaching an agreement with Orr Pharmaceuticals for a reverse merger. Can you explain what happened and, and what your thinking was? Sure. So so this segment in the market of antisense oligonucleotide therapeutics is extremely exciting. There are incredible companies that have blazed a trail literally over decades to show conceptually that RNA silencing is a viable therapeutic strategy for genetic diseases, both dominant, including expansion disorders, as well as recessive uh, disorders, for example, in Duchenne muscular dystrophy. So when, when we as a company um, um, locked onto this next generation type of antisense oligonucleotide technology, we recognized that it had um, certain advantages, many advantages over um, um, what the first generation companies uh, are driving into the clinic today. And we got quite excited. And so, um, you know, having done uh, a couple of biotechnology companies in the past, uh, we set about uh, raising uh, venture capital rounds to build out the company. And right about that time, uh, met the team from Or Pharmaceutical and had a conversation around with them around whether um, going public through what's called an RTO or a reverse um, merger um, uh, could be an accelerant in building this company and proving out the technology. And in fact, that's exactly um, exactly what we decided to do and where we landed in that conversation. And so we're, uh, we've raised um, a significant amount of um, a capital and are going through this reverse merger and will be publicly listed on NASDAQ late in April or early in May. And at that point in time, um, we'll have all of the advantages that a public company has to be able to creatively and quickly build um, infrastructure to drive these solutions uh, 
to patients who need them. And in terms of capital, how much have you been able to raise? So we set about raising um, just enough to get through our next value inflection point, uh, which is about 18 months down the road. And in fact, uh, the round um, uh, was quickly oversubscribed. So we stopped the fundraise at $9 million. Um, and again, that's more than enough capital. We didn't want to take too much uh, for all the obvious reasons uh, to get through proof of concept in preclinical models for both Huntington's and myotonic dystrophy. Dietrich Stefan, CEO of New Base Therapeutics. Dietrich, thanks so much for your time today. My pleasure. Thank you so much for your interest. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.